Let us open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. I think also in the bulletin you have the passage. And read perhaps the most important uh, part of the chapter, part of the Bible that there is. It's the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that in your own minds you might think, well, this is a bit much to read. Uh, but actually, you are reading the heart of the gospel. You are reading what God did throughout the Old Testament to bring us to our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a summary of it all. So let us stand as we, out of respect, read God's holy and precious and infallible word. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Uh, Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of, of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the, the father of uh, Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Yaakov, Yaakov was the father of Yosef, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham uh, to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, from David to deportation, 14, and from deportation to the Messiah, uh, 14 generations. 
We're all fascinated by genealogies, especially our own. We're not usually sat, uh, interested at all that much in listening to the generations of other people. Uh, however, I'll make you listen to mine. <laughs> we trace our history back to Bradford on the Mayflower and several others with him. We also trace our, our generation back to William and Mary in the latter part of the 1600s who were king and queen of England. Plus, that goes back to William of Orange. Plus, that goes back to Charlemagne, which means that the Fowler clan are royal. <laughs> so I want you all to treat us <laughs> as royalty, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> However, I've made you go through that. Uh, but the genealogy that we just read in, in Matthew is the mother of all genealogies. It is the genealogy of all genealogies. It dwarfs all other genealogies. My, my friends, this is a summary of all that leads up to Christ. Of course, I, I must stop here and say it doesn't have all of the summary because in Luke we have the, the generation of Mary going all the way back to Adam. And so from Adam to Abraham, it's missing here, but that, the purpose of Matthew was to show that the two, that, that Jesus was, was uh, the, the, the descendant of both Abraham and David, with, in which uh, he, he wanted the people to know that, uh, in or, so, that so that his uh, genealogy would be, be proper and they wouldn't have to worry about that as Jews. However, the Old Testament is a book of generations. It begins with Adam and Eve and ends with Christ. You remember the promise to Adam and Eve. Uh, God said, and this is called, this promise is called a proto-evangel. That is the first gospel statement or promise that's written in scripture. And Jesus was actually addressing Satan, not Eve when he said it, but the promise to Eve is implanted in this statement. In Genesis 3, verse 15, he said, And I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall, he, her seed will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the hill, he will make a decisive blow on his head, on the head of Satan. That's the, that's the first initial blessing of the gospel to to Eve herself, and from then on. And you may not realize this; uh, many don't. Uh, but Genesis, the outline of Genesis is arranged according to genealogies. It's the outline of Genesis is not pre-patriarchal, Genesis 1 through 11, patriarchal 12 through 50. I'm not sure if you realize this, but he very purposely uh, organized Genesis, the very first book, Moses organized this as he wrote, according to genealogies beginning from this statement of the two seeds. And the uh, formula that he used that you can know and that he repeats all the time is called the Toledot principle. 
Ela Toledot. These are the generations of. And following uh, Adam, uh, Adam and Eve being created and then the fall and then this, this promise, in chapter 4, he begins with the, with the uh, generations of, of uh, Cain and then they sort of go into oblivion and then he goes to these are the generations of Adam. Adam comes Shem. Shem comes I forget what's, in, what's his name, all the way down, all the way down to Noah. By the way, the seventh in the line of Cain uh, murdered a man, a young man, and also uh, committed bigamy. The seventh in the line of, of Seth walked with God and was not because God took him. That was Eden. Shows you the difference between the two lines that are developing. But, it, but Cain's line is gone now. Now we're going along with uh, Shem to Noah. Then these are the generations of Noah, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then in chapter 10, these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He gives a, Japheth, Ham, and then Shem not leading to Christ in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Shem to Terah to Abraham. Forget all those others in chapter 10. All those, those people, he's narrowing, he is narrowing the focus of the line to Abraham. And, and then it goes to Abraham. And then uh, a, after Abraham dies, these are the, are the um, genealogies of Ishmael. Goodbye, Ishmael. These are the generations of Isaac. And, he, and they start telling about Isaac and go on. And then after Isaac dies... These are the generations of Esau. Goodbye, Esau. These are the generations of Jacob. And he begins to talk about Jacob and Judah and so on. He deliberately used generations as the outline of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, leading on to David and Christ. It's amazing how all of this uh, works out in ter terms of Scripture. But in the middle of all of these generations, promises come. We read the promise to, to uh, Adam and Eve. Now we come to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham of his seed. And Abraham said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? Because I am childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. Then we read, Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. That one little statement, beautiful. You know, Paul, Dr. Paul Koyster, dear friend of mine, we're both from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, Dr. Paul Koyster uh, wrote some devotionals. You know, he was a coordinator of Mission to the World for a number of years, did a marvelous job building up our whole mission contingency in the PCA and raising funds and so on. But he, uh, in, in one of his devotionals, said that we need to consider that the other religions of the world, that they are all 
based on performance. He said the Buddhists are severe, severely disciplined themselves and pray to appease their God. Islam uses the symbol of a balance scale to demonstrate that one's good deeds must outweigh the bad. Mormonism teaches that only by being better than the next person can one ever hope to have a relationship with God. All other religions are performance-oriented. All depend on human merit to, to gain divine acceptance. Only the gospel of Christ offers eternal life as a free gift. Only the gospel is based not on what we do, but on what God has done for us. And when we look at Abraham, he trusted in God. He believed in God. And that was all it took. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's the gospel message throughout the entire, entirety of Scripture. Let me go back to Romans chapter 4 where Paul picks this up. In, in Romans chapter 4. He says, if Abraham was justified by works... Uh, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? It says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. To him who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. And as David also speaks of the blessing upon man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, uh, Psalm 32, he quotes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man uh, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of, of Scripture, going all the way through, is involved in this genealogy that goes back to David and goes back to Abraham. Now the one that, to David, God made the promise, I will raise up your seed after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that at the very end of Revelation, Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David. And Paul introduces his letter to the church in Rome, saying, Paul, a bond slave of Christ Jesus, a called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scripture concerning his son. And here's the gospel in miniature. Who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, but declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, when Jesus came into Galilee, he came preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule, the reign of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the gospel as a whole. Right there with Abraham and with David. But let's go a little deeper into this genealogy just to see what's in that genealogy. Uh, first of all, let's look at the women in the genealogy of Jesus. There are five incredible women in the genealogy of Jesus. Four are mentioned in verses 3, 5, and 6. Uh, Judah, in, in, in those verses we read, 
Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Solomon was the father of Boaz uh, by Rahab, uh, Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Aside from the fact that women were not included in the Old Testament genealogies, that was a, a male-only club, uh, if Matthew were to comb the Old Testament for women to be included in the genealogy in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, these would be the most unlikely of candidates. Why wouldn't he include Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, some of these women that you say, wow, that's wonderful that, that, that they're included? And in each case of, of these women, there is a particular passage, chapter, and scripture devoted to them way back in the Old Testament times. First of all, let's take each one of them. In verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez by Zerah and Zerah by Tamar. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Tamar. If you read through Genesis and you come to, to finally chapter 20, 37, which says, these are the generations of Jacob, and he immediately jumps into the life of Joseph and how Joseph was taken by his brothers and sold into uh, slavery in, in Egypt. And, and then you come to chapter 38. All of a sudden, the subject changes and talks about Judah. And that Judah went and married a Canaanite. He didn't go back like Jacob did or others did, you know, up to the, the, the land in Mesopotamia to get one of his own, own kin. He married a Canaanite. And uh, then, uh, he, I forget what her name was too, call it, but uh, she, she, they had three children. They had three boys. Er and another and another. And uh, he, he, Tamar, he took, apparently she was a, a Canaanite lady, and he had her marry Ur. The Bible has a simple statement, Ur did evil in the sight of God, and God took him. So now, here's Tamar. So he gives Tamar to her second son. Second son, for certain reasons, also God took him. Then, then, uh, uh, Judah says, well, I'll give you to the, my third son as he grows up, but he never gave her to the third son. So Tamar took, uh, took this into her own, own hands because Judah's wife died. And Judah was out in a field with friends, and so she dresses up like a harlot and sits by that field, entices Judah. Judah goes in with her and... Uh, she uh, uh, asked for, well, I, you'll have to read the whole story. But the son, the son that, that they conceived from that uh, became part of the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this is not the best, uh, the, the, the best uh, site for Judah. I mean, Judah does better than this. But, but this, this is what appears in, in the genealogy. Second... In verse 5, Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. 
Now, we all know the story of Rahab. And we all cheer for Rahab. We like her because she hid uh, the spies uh, in her, on a rooftop, you'll remember, in Jericho and, and uh, helped them uh, leave. And, and her, she and her family were saved as a result, taken care of by the Israelites. But would you believe that she ended up in, in the lineage of, of Jesus? She was a harlot. And she was a Canaanite. Third, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. We have a whole book devoted to Ruth. And I'm sure, ladies, that you've read Ruth a number of times. And you love Ruth and you love everything about her. I, I do too. I think she was a virtuous woman and she was a believer. But did you know she was a Moabite? You may not be aware, but Moabites were not good people. They were sort of bad people. They're the ones who hired Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse Israel before they entered the promised land. Moab was the one uh, who, the idolatrous country that, that worshipped Melech. Melech was the, was the god who, who uh, was a, a large uh, god of stone that ha had the arms outstretched like this. And they would put the children on the arms be under uh, on, over a fire and kill their own babies. That's Molech. And the, the worship of Molech was brought in the valley of Hinnom next to Jerusalem by a number of the kings of Judah. God commanded that Moabites would never enter the congregation of the Lord. Moreover, Deuteronomy 23, 6 reads, you shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all their days. Nevertheless, uh, Naomi's uh, sons married, married Moabite, and then they brought her back, and, Bo and she became part of the community in Bethlehem, in Judah. Ruth is included in Jesus' genealogy. And finally, we come to David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, if you read the Hebrew, and I'm sure you do, <laughs> the word Bathsheba is not there. The literal translation is, David was the father of Solomon, uh, of Solomon by the one who was of Uriah. Of Uriah, it's not Hebrew, I'm sorry, it's Greek. By the one who was of Uriah, of Uriah, is probably a genitive of relation where you add in the wife of Uriah. So it would be properly translated. Um, David was the father of Solomon uh, who, uh, by the one who had been the wife of Uriah. And some blame Bathsheba, say she was bad, she shouldn't have been bathing on a roof out there so everybody can see her. She might have been able to decline, but how do you decline a king? But I would say that David's a scoundrel here. And nevertheless, she's included in Jesus' genealogy. Of these four Old Testament women, two were definitely Canaanite, one a Moabite, not sure about Bathsheba. Her husband, Uriah, was a Hittite. The Hittites had a big kingdom in the latter part of the second millennia B.C., uh, in, in what is now Turkey. 
but he came down to be with David and to fight with him. Uh, and um, where am I? Three were clearly sinful in their actions or occupations. An Orthodox Jew would shudder to see their names included. Did Matthew include these four names on purpose? I think we would all have to say yes. Why? What was his purpose? Why include these women in a male-only genealogy club? Is Matthew already preparing us for the all-embracing breadth of God's love? Is Matthew beginning in subtle ways to show the obvious universality of the gospel? Is this Matthew's way of saying what Jesus said when he, Jesus was eating in Matthew's house with the publicans and sinners, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Calvin said, the Son of Man might have kept his descent unspotted and pure from every reproach or mark of infamy, but he came into the world to empty himself and take the form of a servant, to be a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people, and at length to undergo the assured death of the cross, he therefore did not refuse to admit a stain into his genealogy. Well, if you're surprised at the women in Jesus' genealogy, you better look at the men. They're worse off. Let's look at a few of them. Let's confine ourselves to the kings of Judah between David and the exile. Fourteen kings are mentioned in this genealogy. Of these fourteen, seven are cited in First and Second uh, Kings as being evil in the sight of the Lord, evil doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Seven are cited as doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, but the majority of those who were cited as doing right in the, in the sight of the Lord uh, in the latter days seemed to do a bit of backsliding. Uh, there were only three who appeared to have been righteous during their entire reigns, or at least there's nothing reported about them as having uh, slidden back. Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Verse 7, regarding Abijah, he reigned three years in Jerusalem, says, quote, he walked in all the sins of his father which he had committed before him and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. Verse 8, regarding Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, he did what, what was right in the sight of the Lord, but in the latter part of his, his life he played ball with Ahab and Jezebel, making an alliance with him by having his son marry their daughter, Athaliah. So Joram, uh, in verse 8, married Athaliah. And what does the scripture say concerning his son Joram after uh, Jehoshaphat died? He walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. For Ahab's daughter had become his wife. And the first thing that he did when he, when he took reign was to kill the other five or six brothers that he had uh, from Jehoshaphat. Nice fellow. Then Joram reigned eight years and he died. And 
his son Ahaziah took the throne. And this is where the genealogy all of a sudden skips three kings. Probably purposely for sure. Ahaziah reigned only one year and was killed by Jehu when Jehu went and cleaned up Ahab's house and, and, and took them out and, and also uh, killed Ahaz in the process. And what does Athaliah do? Athaliah kills all the royal uh, offspring and becomes ruler over Judah. Ruler over Judah. However, she missed one. She, she missed Joash or Jehoash. She's called both of those names. Because the daughter of Joram, who is the sister of Ahaziah, who was the wife of the high priest Jehoiada, took the, a young one who was probably an infant at that time, or probably not older than, than one year old, and hit him. And they hit him for seven years. And in his eighth year, they, they had a coup. And Athaliah met her fate. And Joash uh, was made king over Israel at age eight. And, and Jehoiada, the high priest, was sort of governing things until Joash came of age. But then after Jehoiada died, Joash went wrong. It's not, it's not a good history. Then we return to the names of Matthew's genealogy, beginning with Uzziah. His son Ahaz, verse 9, walked in the way of the kings of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire. That's the Melech business. He had his own sons pass through the fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. And then in verse 10, Manasseh was the worst king of, of Judah. Hezekiah was probably the best. Manasseh was probably the worst. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. He also made his sons pass through the fire as well. These are the men in the genealogy. Nothing pure. A lot of dirty linen. Well, where is the gospel in all this? First, we realize that God is truly a God of grace by examining the genealogy. For a Messiah to be born into a genealogy so unworthy of the honor is a picture, a statement of the purpose of his coming. As the Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God is truly a God of grace in that the Savior was willing to pass through such a channel of iniquity to be our Savior. Shows the wideness in God's mercy. Number two, God is also a God who is active in history. The seed, the seed, could have been cut off in multiple ways down through the century. Just take Athaliah uh, assassinating all the offspring, missing one. The intrigues of the palace at various times. Slavery in Egypt 
slavery under Babylon, living in the desert for those years. I mean, you can just go right down from the beginning. The barrenness of Sarah, the barrenness of Rebecca. God provided, God led, God protected, God prevented. All those thousands of years down to the coming of the Messiah of Christ. God is able and was able and is still able to fulfill the promises that he makes to his people. Third, God has included us in this lineage. To Abraham, God said, I will bless you and multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. And in your seed, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. And in Galatians 3.16, Paul writes, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to seeds as referring to plural or many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And then later in Galatians 3, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So this is our lineage. We can trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to David, to the Lord Jesus. This genealogy is at the root of the gospel. Finally, let us not forget the fifth woman mentioned in the genealogy. She comes in verse 16, and you may have heard her name. Her name is Mary. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Remember, the promise was first given to Eve that it would be her seed that would bruise the serpent on the head. So here is her seed. She, a godly Jewish woman, a virgin chosen by God, playing a major role in bringing the Messiah into this world. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, for when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons.